You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. This episode of Your Queer Story is brought to you by our patrons, The Knights Wishing Well and Tickle.life. Welcome, Queerstians, to another episode of Your Queer Story. We are your hosts. I am Evan Jones. And I'm Paul Hobbs. And thank you for being here. Yes, thank you for tuning in. Um, how was your week this week? Uh, let's see. Um, lots of work. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been playing a lot of video games, surprisingly. That's not surprising um, at all. I've been trying some new recipes. Tried a couple vegan things out. For fun, you know, mm-hmm. try to eat a little healthier. Um, but yeah, it's just been you know, typical week. Nothing super yeah. crazy. Um, kind of just saving up money. We have a vacation in February, so okay. Yeah, yeah. You have my wedding next April too, so make sure you're saving up for a nice gift for that. <laughs> of course. Plus, you've got to pay for your pants for the wedding. I'm not buying anything for the wedding. Do you think I'm coming in a different outfit? <laughs> I'm coming in in this. No. But, okay, I don't care. But if you want to go through Samantha, you feel free to do that. Because, <laughs> and her mother as well. <laughs> because I'm pretty su- sure Suzanne is going to be like standing there monitoring everybody. You're so. going to have to like check in with her before you can even enter the building. Exactly. I don't think so. No, no way. <laughs> Take so. my credit card, go get something nice. I'll send you the bill. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> right. When one of my friends is wearing like a um she's one of our my groomsmen mm-hmm. who's a woman is wearing uh going to wear like suspenders like what the what the yeah. rest of the guys are wearing and Suzanne's just like I mean, I know it's not a traditional wedding, but I just thought we might have some things that were traditional. Oh, Lord. (laughs) I'm going to get you drag strippers. Oh, my God. For the wedding. They're going to pop up at the wedding. It's not even going to... They're going to crash your wedding. Okay. Well, all right. You're officially the worst. It's going to be so much fun. You're going to give Suzanne I'm going to have so much fun at your wedding. Someone's going to be carrying Suzanne out (laughs) on their shoulder. There goes the bride. The mother's They're going to be twerking on the wedding cake. I wanted to do like a drag show for the reception, but that got cut down like real quick. So all my ideas got shut down. Uh, it's okay. I'm not surprised. And I don't really have great ideas. I'm not like <laughs> offended by it. I just throw things out there. And everybody's, you know? it's like, hey, what about this? And everybody else is just quiet. <laughs> it's, it's exactly it. Everyone uh, gets really quiet and they look around like, ah, maybe. We could put that in the, like the maybe. Yeah, if, if we have time. We could try it. <laughs> maybe we. I mean, we have to be out of there by twelve, so maybe about one a.m. We could do it. So, yeah, yeah, good stuff. But uh, where was I going? Yes, you do my wedding. Um, no, same thing. Like nose to the grindstone. Like retail October retail. Like that's your how life's long. done for the rest of the year. Ex- 
Well, it's really only done through the middle of November because then, like, everything's set up and you're, like, you relax till, like, the week before Christmas. It's not that it's busy, but, like, you don't have to do all this extra crap. Yeah. And then you start, like, you have to start setting for Valentine's Day. You have to do all the stuff the week of Christmas. Like, right the week right before Christmas, you have to start setting your, your Valentine's Day stuff mm-hmm. when you're, like, super fucking busy, you know. Yeah, so that's my life. So I just got to get through the next three months. Um, you know, we already got through our, uh, we are we went on our last vacation for the year. So nothing for me for a while. Maybe yeah. not even till the wedding. Who knows? Jesus. Maybe uh, though. Maybe. Anyway, so yeah, so good stuff. But um, again, so thank you to our Patreon supporters. This um, podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. And if you go to our Patreon and you're able to donate even a dollar, that helps. Three or more will get you access to our exclusive footage. Lots of fun bloopers. And just me standing in front of a camera stripping naked every night. Now we just lost all of our subscribers. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, make sure you like and follow us on our social media. Different mm-hmm. things get posted on different platforms. So yeah. just uh, make sure you pop in on each one and see where you like, what you like. And follow us on that platform. Yeah, what platform works for you? We're at Your Queer Story at all our platforms. And uh, I do more stuff on Facebook or Instagram. You can follow me on Instagram at EB and J Sandwich. Super cheesy. Um, um, no, because it's like, my name is Evan Bailey Jones. So I did EB and J. And then I put it as like a little sandwich. Okay. You guys, I'm a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, is that time where everybody gets real quiet? <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I'm most active on Twitter. You can follow me at the Paul Hobbs. Um, I'm also at the Paul Hobbs Ooh, on Instagram. Yeah, Ooh, that's yeah. called branding. <laughs> you know, I'm care. going up against a fucking wine company. You know how hard it is to get Paul Hobbs to rank wine on Google? Why? There's a wine company called Paul Hobbs? Paul Hobbs Wines. I feel like that's really fitting. I feel like that's your life. Really? <laughs> a little bit. Paul Hobbs Wines, Paul Hobbs Drinks Wine. Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. But uh, yeah, so got to do everything Paul Hobbs. I got to take the name back. Oh yeah, you recapture that. Reclaim it. You're definitely going to win against this uh, I can, multi-million I can do dollar wine company. I can do it. Everybody go buy Paul Hobbs Wines. Google Paul They're Hobbs They're not a sponsor wines. of this podcast. Don't buy their shit. <laughs> You can buy their shit when they give us some money. <laughs> it's the wine that makes you get drunk way too fast. You have three drinks and all of a sudden you're too shit-faced. <laughs> <laughs> if I made wine, that wouldn't be That's exactly what it is. You have one drink, good. Two drinks, two. Three drinks, what the fuck has happened? All right. Also for our Rhode Island folk, the day this episode drops, which is Wednesday, October 17th, is the day of the Interfaith Services at Bell Street Chapel in Providence, Rhode Island. So if you're a queer person of faith or just interested, then go to 5 Bell Street in Providence at 7.30 p.m. And you're welcome to take part of the services. Mm-hmm. But And also, you can always check out our calendar of, of events at yourqueerstory.com for more um more information on events that are happening in and around Rhode Island. Lots of stuff happening every week, and we don't even have everything on there. So if you want to yeah, get your don't. stuff on there, let us know. Yeah, let us know. I've been trying to put as much stuff as I can. I just go to all these different Facebook pages, and I like pull the information of like people that we follow, like Pride Rhode yeah. Island, uh, the TGI Network, um, anybody that does stuff. But if like I'm not aware, and you want another pl- way to get your information out there, just contact us, and we'll put it on our calendar. Yeah. So. So um, today. Hey. Today we are continuing the story of Matthew Shepard and the impact his life and death had on our nation. When we left off last episode, Matthew had just passed away after being savagely beaten 
tortured, and left to die in Wyoming Prairie. By the way, trigger warning. This is going to be a rough story. This is a very rough... um, We do say a lot of racial... Not racial. um, A lot of uh, queer slurs. Um, We're preserving history. So we're saying things the way that they were said. But yeah, there will be a lot of slurs. And uh, of course, more talk about death, rape, and torture. Um... Very triggering. I, this might even be more triggering than the last episode, which is, I, I don't know why I forgot the trigger warning, so thank you for remembering yeah. that. Um, it might be more triggering just because in this one we're talking about people's reactions to Matt's death, and they're not all nice. So. Right, so be prepared and listen yes. at your own risk. Yes. So the death, the death of this young man sparked a national outrage. There were a lot of factors in play for why this would be the death that triggered so many people. Homosexuals, particularly gay men, had been the brunt of violence for centuries, and an especially strong wave of anti-homosexuality had engulfed the country since the Lavender Scare of the 1950s. So why were people so upset about the death of Matthew Shepard? Yeah, so like we mentioned briefly at the end of the last episode, there was a lot of, like, these deaths and attacks were happening every day. Kind of like how right now trans women transgender women especially transgender women of color are dying at like a rapid pace and nobody seems to be aware of it it's like it's happening continually you hear it, last... you hear about it on the news all the time but you don't hear about all of them right like it's just oh yeah i mean just this year alone 2018 the last i heard and this was um, about two months ago it was the death tolls at 14 for transgender women who had been murdered in um 2018 so that's insane exactly so and th- this was the same thing people were being killed again there was a young lesbian woman woman who was murdered by her parents because she they thought that she not i don't know if it's her parents i think it was her ex because uh, they thought she was going to leave her husband to go be with a female partner there was um a man who had was also brutally murdered um and this was like again happening over 1200 uh, um uh sexual or not over 1200 hate crimes had been reported in 1996 alone so this this was like everything else right and i don't think people expected it for, to blow up this way so some of the reasons was one he was young and he looked even younger than he already was like we said he was only five foot two he's very small frame police say that initially they thought they had found a 12 year old boy it wasn't until they discovered his college id and doctors cleaned him up a bit that they realized he was a young man still matthew shepherd was only 21 years old when he was murdered Another reason for the public sympathy was the fact that Matthew was white. As sad as this truth is, one must wonder how much the public would have been swayed had Matt been a person of color. In fact, just a few months earlier, a middle-aged black man by the name of James Byrd Jr. was brutally murdered by three white supremacists. Byrd was beaten, defecated on, and then his ankles were chained to a pickup truck, and he was dragged for three miles. He died when his head was severed from his body when he hit a culvert. And uh, this had happened in June, so this was, Matt was murdered in October, so this was just three months earlier that this man had been brutally murdered. Right, and unfortunately you still see that today with um, all any time that a black man is murdered by, especially police, mm-hmm. or a, black, you know, a, a person of color is murdered yeah. by the police, the, the media always shows these, the worst picture they can find of mm-hmm. the victim, always finds them... Their one post that they were stupid at a party four years ago where they have, you know, they were just being goofy and fucking around, had a weird hat on. Like, they just find any picture they can to make this person look like a villain. Right. Rather than 
letting their family mourn them and let them be mm-hmm. a victim like they truly are. They are just portrayed as these criminals no exactly. matter what no matter what you do oh there's like um you know the story recent story of the father that murdered his family like he murdered his wife and then his kid and then his unborn and his unborn child you know mm-hmm. why don't you follow the news so there's his father and um, if you look at any newspaper i don't remember the guy's name but he murdered his family a couple months ago and every picture of him is him smiling with his family like he's a happy family man and people are like i don't know what what could have happened for this guy to just go off and kill his family uh and around the same time that he murdered his family another father who was a black man his daughter went to go use the restroom and a man tried to assault her and uh tried to like grab her who knows what he would have done father lost his temper went in beat the shit out of the guy Mm -hmm. and i think in the beating he killed the guy so the father who's protecting his daughter, who was being assaulted, is betrayed as this criminal. Yeah. You know, like every picture of him, he looks awful. They, they, uh, uh, Dad savagely beats man, whatever. And the father who murdered his own family is portrayed as this happy-go-lucky guy of, we just can't figure out what the fuck's going on. I don't know. He was the nicest guy. That's always what happened. And mm-hmm. it's one of the most infuriating things because pictures matter so much oh yeah when you look at that no matter what they're saying they could be saying all good things but seeing that picture yeah instills an image gives you judgments gives you pre dispositions is that what it's called uh is it predispositions makes you presume makes you yeah makes you presume things about them makes Mm -hmm. you automatically a picture no matter how much you try not to gives you some sort of judgment of that person exactly and it's interesting that you say picture because there's a very well-known picture of matt shepherd which we'll post where he's in like this this checkered shirt and he's standing in his kitchen and he just looks like this normal kid like he could be the kid next door and people talk about it like that's what caught the nation's attention yeah. Because before this, when, you know, um, queer people were portrayed, again, it's the same idea. Like, we portray them in the worst light possible. But here, he's perceived as this normal, young kid. Right. And, um, you know. While these gruesome details about James Byrd certainly caught the public's attention, little progress was made in an attempt to prevent, or at least justly prosecute, future hate crimes. George W. Bush was the governor of Texas during this time, where Byrd's crime had occurred, and he adamantly opposed hate crime legislation. It seemed that advocates for minority protections wouldn't stand a chance, that is, until Matthew Shepard was murdered just a few months later in October of 1998. In the soft, innocent face of of a young gay man, many Americans saw their own son. A Gallup poll taken not long after Matthew's murder showed that 75% of Americans were so moved by the boy's death that they swayed in favor of hate crime legislation. Yeah, I mean, it was it was huge. It, it was just huge what his death did. Mm-hmm. So, but first, the criminals had to be found and convicted. After leaving Matt tied to the fence, Aaron McKinney and Russell Henderson had returned home to their girlfriends, Kristen and Chastity. The four... I'm sorry. We probably have a Chastity listening. We can't stand that name. I know, it's the worst name. (laughs) I'm sorry, Chastity, if you're listening, but God. Chastity. The four began to conjure up an alibi for the previous evening, and the two women set to work getting rid of the evidence. Chris and Chas drove 50 miles south to Cheyenne to dispose of Russell's bloody clothes, though they then took his bloody shoes to a storage shed at Chastity's mother's house. I don't... They drive 50 miles an hour away was driving probably over an hour 
dispose of all his bloody clothes, and then they just take his bloody shoes and they put it back in her mom's garage. Well, they probably didn't want to get rid of the shoes. <laughs> these are good shoes. These are my favorite shoes. You know yeah. that, Chastity. Don't you dare get rid of them. You can get rid of these clothes, but we're just going to clean these shoes up. <laughs> Meanwhile, Aaron was taken to the Padre Valley Hospital with a hairline fact with a hairline fracture. Though neither he nor the police were aware, McKinney sat just down the hall from Matthew Shepard, who was still in a coma from the beating and just stays away from dying. Oh wow. I didn't know that one. Yeah. That's kinda Yeah, I know, up. right? What the fuck? He's sitting there just like recuperating and Matt is dying down the hall. Yeah. As the police began their search for the culprits, the news was alive with activity. Judy Shepard stated that upon learning that her son's assault was a national story, she went into the restroom and vomited. She was afraid of what people would say about Matthew and their family. The hospital began to receive endless calls, and the mailroom was swamped with letters. Most were supportive and kind, but a few were cruel and aggressive. The hospital CEO, Rulon Stacy, graciously took on the role as spokesperson and blocked the family from the brunt of media attention so that they could focus on Matthew. Because of his role, he too was attacked by cowards and he too was attacked by cowards who mailed in letters of hate and disgust that he would would spare a hospital bed for a fag. And actually, if you watch the documentary, they show a few of these letters and like um they just basically a lot of the negative ones just say things like he was a fag, he deserves to die. Like yeah. he got what he deserved. He should be He's lucky he got away with what he did. Like, they were terrible, terrible things. And that's why it matters what you say and it matters Mm -hmm. what you teach people. Yeah. And I, what the fuck? And they're writing to the CEO director, like, the CEO, and telling him, like, you need to get this guy out of your hospital. Just cut, just pull the plug. Like, this is while Matt's still in the coma. Right. Because this sparked immediately, like, as soon as the story broke. Yeah. Like, it, it spread like wildfire. The internet was also a new tool being utilized, and the Pordre Hospital, I, I don't know, it's P-O-U-D-R-E, I guess it's Pordre, Pordre Hospital posted updates on Matthew's condition at least twice a day. This is in the late 90s, so right. the fact that they're doing this, that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. <laughs> Over 800,000 people checked in to view Matt's progress, again, in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. The, the fact that they even knew how to get on the internet. You had to like do dial-up back yeah, then, and you had terrible. to get your little CD and, and get connected. And I don't the, even know as much as you do. The internet was terrible. <laughs> it was horrible. When do you? What's your first recollection? I was eight. Okay. And my grandma had like a Windows ninety five, mm-hmm. ninety eight maybe. It was an older computer. Yeah. Um, and I used to just go on it and draw like on paint. Oh yeah, and, like, I did play do my, paint. Play my yeah. play Minesweeper. I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> um. That's my earliest recollection. Then we had like little computer games. We could play like The Land Before Time. Yeah. Um, I don't remember what else. We had a lot of like cute little games though. Yeah. We It was like, you just didn't get on the internet. Yeah. Like, it wasn't like today where like you have it on your phone and you're constantly looking things up. I mean, I wasn't really allowed on the internet much anyways, but like even then it was just like, it seemed like such a hassle to get on. Oh yeah. Just didn't mess with it. I didn't really start using the internet until I was older. <laughs> And started playing online games. Yeah, that I feel like really... the mid 2000s it started to really like break open, and mm-hmm. like people started to use it more. Yeah. So, but yeah, so in 1998, you know, over uh, over 800,000 people checked in to view Matt's progress, and on October 12, 1998, CEO Stacy came out to announce that Shepard had passed away. He stated in a televised briefing, 
The family expressed gratitude that they did not have to make a decision about removing life support. They said that they liked the good they said that like the good, caring son he was, he removed from them the guilt and stress of making that decision. And you can still look that up on YouTube. It's also in the documentary. And he, like, gets choked up and cried. Seems like a good guy. Yeah. You know? That would be a horribly hard decision. Oh, my God. I couldn't imagine being on the other end of that. Like, I don't know how. It's your son. I don't, like... Because at one end, you're like, he's not really my son anymore. But at the mm-hmm. other end, you're like, well, at least he's still alive. Like, right. what do you... What do you do? Exactly. And especially as a parent. How is he going to be happier? Yeah. You know? Like, Would he rather not? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's hard with the parent because like with a partner, like I've told Samantha, like here's the point where you pull the plug. You know, like you can tell your partner what you want, but when it's your child, right? it's just solely up to you. And yeah. And that's part of why, like we said in the last episode where um, Judy Shepard asked his counselor to go in and tell him to leave because they knew they were coming on. They were going to have to make the decision. Right. And she couldn't like bring herself to break, make the decision to pull the plug. Mm-hmm. And so like she had the counselor go in and say, oh, and, like, look, just just go. It's OK. Yeah. And then he passed away. Hey, Queerstians. We just want to give a special shout out to a couple of our patrons. Tickle.life is an initiative to encourage acceptance and expression of our sexuality. It will be a platform to celebrate unrestrained fantasies and sexual innuendos via discussions. The community will exclusively target like-minded people who are judgment-free, where there is no right or wrong way of expressing one's thoughts. So, helping us to remain true to our real self and accepting the world around in a better way. The platform encourages community building by maintaining anonymity and privacy, but discourages hookups by providing no way to connect personally on a one-to-one level. Register for an early invite at www.tickle.life and go download the app from your iOS store on October 20th, 2018. We also want to give a special shout out to The Knight's Wishing Well, which is a super cute LGBT novel written by author Michael Finn Lang. It's extremely cute and it offers modern twists on classic fairy tales such as giants with high heels, um, an, a never aging 20 year old beautiful wizard, and many, many, many other fun little tales. It's educational and inspiring and makes a great stocking stuffer. You can find that on Amazon under the night's wishing well. The nation was reeling, but the open displays of mockery and hatred of a few would catapult people into action. During a vigil for Matthew, a group of Colorado soror a group of Colorado sorority assholes drove their homecoming float past the mourners. On the float was a scarecrow with the words I'm gay and homophobic obscenity spray painted across it. At Matt's funeral, members of Westboro Baptist Church stood outside the church in the cemetery carrying signs that read God hates fag, and they marched in a circle chanting, Fags die, God laughs. Such callousness t- showed people that thinking about LGBT individuals, or at least gay individuals, had to change. Yeah, I mean, the, it's a, as infuriating as it is. So first of all, this sorority of assholes. I don't know. They're from Colorado University. I don't know what their fucking issue is. But if you remember, you know, um, the bicyclist that had passed Matt had said that he thought initially it was a scarecrow. Mm-hmm. So that's they took the scarecrow thing and like drove past this vigil, right? And with this on there, I don't know what possesses college people to like make fun of someone's. Even if you have a problem with gay people, like why would you do that to someone? Right. You know, 
And then the Westboro Baptist, of course, sitting outside of someone's, you know, their funeral and cemetery. But they, it also got people angry. Because even people that were like, I don't agree with gay people, were, were so astounded by how cruel folks right. were openly being to the Shepherd family mm-hmm. that, like, it, it made them angry. Like, this isn't right. Right. Yeah, well, that's what the negativity and hate and rhetoric that the church preaches, it really has an mm-hmm. effect. Because people really take it and yeah. do horrible, terrible things with it. Mm-hmm. You can't get up every day and preach about how God hates fags and fags need to die. And There's this one preacher in Arizona, and I'm not going to give him any attention, so I'm not going to say his name. But he, he went to the college that I attended, and he's gained a lot of um, social media attention because he gets up and he says these very, like, um, uh, not flamboyant, but... Um, very inflamed statements about how you know homosexuals should be stoned how he thinks that homosexuality the act of homosexuality should have the death penalty against it you know he gets a lot of and he's been on like documentaries and everybody's obsessed with him or whatever he's just a he's a fucking prick he always was he's a closeted gay <laughs> i mean you can't rage that hard against homosexuality and not have something going on buddy and right revert back to episode 19 and we'll talk to you about other people that had a problem with gay people that much and ended up being pretty gay yeah Anyways, but yeah, you can't get up and say those things and then be surprised when people act this way. Right. You know? You gotta take responsibility for your actions. Yep. My turn? Yeah. Meanwhile, police had traced the trail of Aaron McKinney and Russell Henderson pretty quickly. We don't have many details of the arrest, but we do know that as early as October 9th, while Matt was still clinging to his life, officers had begun questioning the suspects and their girlfriends. Sergeant Debris testified that Aaron confessed the two men had planned to rob Matt, but then when Matt made a pass at Aaron, he lost control. Aaron's girlfriend, Kristen, confirmed the story, infamously stating, They just wanted to beat him up bad enough to teach him a lesson, not to come on to straight people, and don't be aggressive about it anymore. Right, because he was so aggressive when he set that hand on his knee. Right. Like, how dare you? Right, exactly. Not like the straight men that fucking go up behind a woman and grab her by the ass. Oh, yeah, no. Grab, you know, put the other arm around her and pull her in clothes. Exactly. That's not aggressive. Like, groper. That, that's just what men do. That's just, just men being men, right? You know, you know, uh, making, uh, whistling at women as they walk past you on the street, pushing checking them, them out. Pushing them onto a bed, holding them down, mm. pulling your junk out in front of another woman. Right. Grabbing them by the pussy. No, that's just what men do. Boys being boys. Locker room talk. Yep. But Jesus, heaven fucking forbid that after you made a gay man think you were gay and he accidentally rested his hand on your knee, you don't fucking drag him out into a prairie and beat the fucking shit out of him. No, no. <laughs> no, but All right. serious though. Mm. So while the two women pleaded guilty to accessory to murder that December, and Russell pled guilty to murder and accepted life in prison in January, Aaron decided to run with his gay panic defense. In December of 1999, Aaron McKinney's lawyer submitted the gay panic defense. Historian Lillian Faderman wrote in her book, The Gay Revolution, The Story of the Struggle, which that is the second main source for this series. The first one is Matt fin- Matthew Shepard is a friend of mine, and the second is The Gay Revolution, A Story of the Struggle. She wrote that McKinney's lawyer believed he had a case for the lenient conviction due to Harvey Milk's murder. Notorious gay politician Harvey Milk was assassinated by rival politician Dan White. White claimed to have diminished capacity due to being denied his job and losing his race to a homo. He was sentenced to only five years in prison after murdering two people. 
It is no wonder that Aaron McKinney thought that he could get away with the murder of Matthew Shepard. And we'll definitely cover Harvey Milk and probably like a two-part episode later oh, absolutely. on. But yeah, but yeah, that was it. Like Dan White was just like, I just, you know, I couldn't handle it. And like the San Francisco uh, police were actively on the side of Dan White. Like there was a joke that they had shirts underneath their... Um, their uh, uniforms that said free Dan White because everyone was like, okay, yeah, you killed Harvey Milk, but come on, he's just a homo. You know, so when you extend such a lenient um, sentencing to someone who's killed a gay person before, naturally you think, even though it was 20 years later, you think, yeah, I can get away with this argument. Why not? Absolutely. Fortunately, the judge would have none of this bullshit and would not let McKinney submit a gay panic defense. However... Aaron's lawyer still tried to solicit sympathy for his poor client who had a gay man rest his hand on his knee. When asked during the trial, did Matthew ask you to stop? Aaron replied, well, yeah, he was getting the shit kicked out of him. Judy Shepard recalled the way Aaron looked during his trial. It looks like his eyes are dead, dead inside. I believe in evil. I believe there are people who have no souls. I believe there are people out there who have no feeling for what's right or wrong, who enjoy hurting others. If you look up pictures of Aaron McKinney, um, he's he like spends the whole trial. He's constantly or video footage. He's constantly smiling. He's joking. Like he turns around at his grandma once when he walks into the um, courtroom and he just like smiles and he winks at her. He's very overly confident. He doesn't show any remorse. Like. His only remorse is like, I'm sorry that, you know, like he, um, at the end, he like says that he's sorry, basically so he doesn't get, you know, sentenced to death. Right. You know, he's just, it, um, uh, Russell Henderson didn't even like contest anything. Like he pled guilty right away. He's like, no, I did this. He seemed to like really, truly yeah. feel bad for Well, actually did. the, uh, Matthew Shepard's parents fought to not have him get the death penalty. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm probably the only reason why he did it. Because... Oh, absolutely. That judge seems like, mm-hmm. like I mean, if when he was found guilty, she was like, "Fuck this!" Like this is yeah, it. yeah. She was over him because he's he he was he was awful. Mm-hmm. So, however, many of Aaron and Russell's friends and family didn't seem to think that the two men had didn't seem to think that what the two men had done was so wrong, especially when it was revealed that Matt was HIV positive. A fact that no one seemed to know, possibly even Matt. One of Russell's close friends told Vanity Fair magazine, You know, that murder was wrong, but really, you feel... But you feel basically that the homosexual lifestyle's not right. Matthew was not a saint. Matthew and his lifestyle. I heard he was having tests done quite frequently. I'm not familiar with people like that. Sometimes I've heard when people have AIDS, they want to take as many people as possible with them. Bullshit. Yeah, bullshit. Yeah, so people are just like, well, yeah, okay, yes, they tied him to a post, and they beat him till he died, and they left him out there freezing, but really, the fact that he was gay, same thing. It's basically like tying someone to a post and beating them to death. Yeah. Yeah. After just 10 hours of deliberation, they came back with a guilty verdict for Aaron McKinney. During his sentencing, Matthew's father asked the judge to spare Aaron's life. The parents instead asked for two back-to-back life sentences without possibility of parole which the judge granted. While Aaron and Russell were being locked away, the fight against hate crimes was just beginning. In the aftermath of Matthew's murder, Judy and Dennis Shepard had received over 8,000 letters as well as countless gifts. Inside the letters were many checks of different sizes of donations, and that prompted the two grieving parents to start the Matthew Shepard Foundation. 
This organization has created support for the queer community through online resources, community events, Erase the Hate campaign, which pushes businesses to openly show LGBTQ support. That's kind of like with the where businesses can now, um, you know, like with the whole gay cake scandal, like they can now say, oh, we don't serve gay people. So like they're trying to do the opposite where like you put a little rainbow in your window or mm -hmm. something that says that you do support the queer community. That's pretty nice. They do speaking engagements and two, and they have been behind two large film productions, The Laramie Project and The Laramie Project 10 years later. And you can access those on Amazon Prime if you uh, feel like doing more. Mm -hmm. But the biggest accomplishment of the foundation is the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act. That story we shared about the black man who was brutally murdered by white supremacist, supremacists, his story and Matthew's were combined to push this bill through. But it was a decades-long journey that began back in 1997. At the end of the millennium, several large LGBT rights groups bonded together with Senator Ted Kennedy to introduce the Hate Crimes Prevention Act into Congress. The, the, legislation, the legislation stated loosely, as printed in the book The Gay Revolution. Violence motivated by race, religion, national origin, Disability, gender, and sexual orientation pose a serious national problem and that existing federal laws don't address it sufficiently. The bill proposed enhanced sentencing for those committing hate crimes. It would also permit the federal government to aid state and local governments and also authorize the feds to step in to act if the state and local governments did not do so. But the bill failed. It then failed again in 1998, just before the murders of both James Byrd and Matthew Shepard. In 1999, Judy Shepard appeared before the Senate and urged them to pass this bill. She stated that if this bill had been passed before her son's death, then perhaps these murderers would have gotten the message that this country doesn't tolerate hate-motivated violence. The bill passed the Senate that year, but died in the House of Representatives. The crazy thing about this bill failing mm -hmm. is that it literally says if you kill someone because they're gay, they should be, they should get a harsher sentencing. Yeah. Oh no. It, um. Also, if they're black, or well, yeah. if they're Hispanic, or if they're disabled, like it's it covers a lot of people. It's just saying if you kill someone for being who they are, you get a harsher sentence because that goes to deeper level of evil. Right. Because there's no. It's not like I killed that person because they stole from me, or I killed that person right. because they did that. It's I killed that person because they existed. Right. There's different... A crime of passion is something we do in the moment we're hurt, right? But a crime of hate is... Like, that's a that's a social disease. Yeah. Right? Like, that person has to be locked away because anybody... Not anybody, but a lot more people are prone to, like, you know, you come in and you find your boyfriend fucking someone else, right? Mm -hmm. You're more prone to lose your shit... And, and beat someone and, and end up killing them. Or, you know, you've been so hurt because your husband, like, you know, left you and took all the money and you go in and you shoot him. Like, that stuff, like, it's not that it's right, but it's you can understand how an individual can lose their shit in a moment. Right. But to hate someone for who they are, to do those things, to tie James Bird to the back of your pickup truck and drive around with him laughing with your buddies, that's an evil that deserves the... The worst penalty. Absolutely. Yeah. In the 2000s election, candidate Al Gore stated that if elected, he would sign the have crime... Hate. <laughs> I was like, that doesn't sound right, but okay. It's a new... It's a, we're going to slip it through this way. If we change one letter, they'll never catch it. Right? 
He, if elected, he would sign the Hate Crimes Prevention Act. Instead, the people went with George Bush, who declared that all crimes are hate crimes and none of and none need special privilege. During Bush's presidency, he learned he leaned heavily on anti-gay bigot James Dobson, the leader of Focus on the Family. Dobson pushed an agenda that ignored all so-called special rights for homosexuals. Because us having rights is special yeah, rights. Yeah, us being able to do anything that everybody else can do is special. That's special, right, Absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. In 2004, when the Hate Crimes Prevention Act reached the House, Focus on the Family Sister Group, Women for America, called out the bill. They created an, an irrational national fear with the this weird analogy. Under the hate crime laws, someone who mugs your grandma will be prosecuted as vigorously as someone who commits the same crime against a homosexual. This says to criminals, mug grandmas, it's less risky. But you don't like it? You want to redo it? No, I'm just like, in my head, I'm like, this is you're trying so... You're to wrap your head around this fucking shit? Yeah. So basically, you're well, saying that we should mug our grandmas. No, I'm saying that we should not It's almost the same hurt. as like what they're saying about the bathroom bills. They right? come up with some random thing. Outrageous bullshit that you can't even argue with because it's so outrageous. Yeah. Because it's literally like, to you're saying, so I should mug my grandma. No, I'm saying we don't hurt queer people, black people. So you're saying I should just go fucking shoot my grandma in the head. No, I'm not. I'm saying we don't hurt people just because of who they are. All right, I'm going to go fucking shoot my grandma. And <laughs> when I get back, you're, you're going to answer for this, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally, like, it just, it's so crazy. But because of that, the bill died again. Yes. Oh, in 2005, the bill was reintroduced for the fourth time, but now in the House, the House of Representatives, that's where the bill had kept dying. This time, it included an entire amendment called the Child Safety Act, which established harsher penalties for child molesters. The bill, ha- the bill passed the House, but died in the Senate. In 2006, things shifted when the Democrats gained control of the House and Senate. Congresswoman Tammy Baldwin threw her support behind the bill, and in fact, she was instrumental in having the term gender identity added to the legislation. Up until this point, the bill really only provided protections to gay and lesbian individuals. But gender identity now specifically protected transgender and non-binary people as well. The bill passed both the House and the Senate. So just so, like, they had said, like, LGBT people, but because they hadn't put specifics, like, transgender people. It did. So transgender people weren't really covered. Right. Um, So, like, she put that in there to make sure that the trans community would be covered. And that's awesome. However, Bush was still way up the ass of James Dobson, and the preacher began to preach his fear-mongering again. He declared the hate crimes bill would muzzle people of faith who dare to express their moral and biblical values against homosexuality. Right, because, you know, it's muzzling someone if you stop them from murdering innocent yeah. people. That's, you're that's you're just, stopping my constitutional rights. I can't murder that person? Nope. You're stopping nope. my God constitutional said. rights to protect America from the homosexual. That's what you do. But doing. it doesn't matter about any of the other sins. I only want to kill the fags. Mm. Yeah, that's the only one that's important. If we right. got rid of them, we wouldn't have any of these other sins. We didn't have any sins before they came around. Uh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, George Bush threatened to veto the bill, and it was withdrawn. But the families of those who had been lost to such atro- atrocious crimes would not back down. With never-failing resilience, they fought back. In 2009, the bill was introduced once again, but this time with a clause to ease the minds of the religious right. The clause emphasized that the bill only punished violence, violent acts and in no way affected freedom of speech. 
Gay Congressman Barney Frank snapped at his opponent, Steve King, If hate crime legislation passes tomorrow, you'll still be able to call me a fag. Despite this reassurance, King still declared on television and radio that the hate crimes bill was really just a pedophile's protection act. Yeah, uh, I don't. I want to stop because I remember this moment in history in my church, and I remember my leader, cult leader, coming out, and he like he had he he had they had preached a lot against homosexuality all growing up, but he had recently become like a TV mm-hmm. preacher, and so he kind of toned back back on that because the networks were like, look, you can hate gay people, but just don't say like gay people should die and stuff from the pulpit. Maybe talk about God and love and whatever, mm-hmm. and so he had toned it back a little. And this night he comes up, like, when they were, like, getting ready, like, to push this. And he, like, slammed his Bible down. He's like, all right, guys, tonight I'm going to say something. And it was probably the last time I could say it because I'll tell you what. By next week, I could be arrested for talking about this subject, but I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to talk to you about how homosexuality is a sin. And it's always been a sin. And, like, the place erupted and, like, people. And he, like, went into this whole, like, the most, like, gay people are the root of all evil in this country and he like went on and he fed this fear and we did believe we believed that like he was going to end up being arrested and dragged off to prison for preaching against homosexuality that's what he taught us and that's what a lot of churches around the country were telling people and that's about why how, they crimes. go and murder people because they're taught that these are the reason the country is falling apart right like, what do you think they're going to do? Exactly. You're instilling this irrational fear. If you believe that your pastor is the man that you love and you trust with your entire life, because there are people like that, they believe their pastor, like, that is their light in their life. And he is going to be arrested and dragged off to prison just for saying that homosexuality is a sin. Yeah, you might be driven to do something irrational. Yeah. Because you're fucking lying to people. Fuck you, James Dobson. We'll get to you one day. Don't worry, James. So by this time, Congress members were overwhelmingly in support of the hate crimes legislation. With President Obama now in office, the bill finally had a real chance. The House passed the bill 249 to 175 votes. The Senate passed it 63 to 28 votes. And on October 28, 2009, President Obama, the last good president, signed the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act into law. At the signing ceremony, he spoke. No one in America should ever be afraid to walk down the street holding hands of the person they love. No one in America should be forced to look over their shoulder because of who they are. Finally, 11 years after his death, some justice was shown for Matthew Shepard and James Barry Jr. This was the first law in American history that protected LGBTQ individuals against prejudice. After this bill, there would be many more, including bills against discrimination in the workplace and, of course, the 2015 ruling that made same-sex marriage legal. Matthew Shepard's death humanized the queer community. It forced mothers and fathers to see LGBTQ individuals as their own children. It opened the eyes of grandmothers and cousins and school teachers and politicians and priests and more. Yeah, I didn't realize, like, there was a lot of, like, places that had instituted anti-discrimination policies Mm -hmm. um and then even like washington dc had passed some rules but there was not a federal law that said you can't discriminate against someone in the workplace you can't discriminate against uh someone in housing like there was there were no federal laws in place so this was happening all over the place and i just i i don't know i just thought that this had been done before but it wasn't this was the first law ever put um set that was actually pro LGBTQ individuals. And think about how recent that is. 2009. 
That's ten years ago. No, that's that's nine years ago. So for everybody who's oh I've got my rights, blah blah blah, voting doesn't matter. This is so new. Anything could happen. It mm-hmm. could be revoked. It could anything yeah. could happen. This is why voting. This was matters. one president ago, people. One fucking president ago. So you got to get off this high horse of like we got our rights and who cares? They can't. We can't lose them. Yeah. Well, everyone under us now is entering the workforce after they've already had all this protection. Exactly. They, so don't, they don't worry don't, about it. Yeah. You know, you don't know what it's like to wonder if you're going to be fired. And honestly, there's so many ways around this bill. I I have a friend who was just fired for being trans and her her boss basically said that, but she has no way to prove to a court that that's why she was fired because she is, I mean, if someone just says I'm firing you for being trans because I don't like you and you don't have that recorded how it's your word against them right and the boss will just say well on this day they came in late yeah on this day they did this like they'll make up anything yeah so there's still like there's still so much work that needs to be done this just happened in 2018 you know and this just happened like a month ago to my friend so like there's still more protections that need it to be and and if you don't have a government that backs you up then even if you did go to court and say, hey, you can't fire me, they fire me for being trans, if the state, if it goes on to the Supreme Court, well, who's going to be on the Supreme Court, folks? Absolutely. It's not looking great. It's not. So, the Matthew Shepard Foundation is still going strong, and these are the words they used on their website to encapsulate Matthew's legacy. The life and death of Matthew Shepard changed the way we talk about and deal with race we talk about and deal with hate in America. Since his death, Matt's legacy has challenged and inspired millions of individuals to erase hate in all its forms. Although Matt's life was short, his story continues to have a great impact on young and old alike. His legacy lives on in thousands of people who actively fight to replace hate with understanding, compassion, and acceptance. And uh, they're still going strong today. His mother still goes, as she really became like, it's crazy because I mean before this there was she was not involved in LGBTQ yeah, activism. Yeah, she she had a gay son. She loved her gay son, but it was whatever. And she's become like one of the like foremost L, uh, queer activists out there. You know, she's done a lot. Her mm-hmm. and her husband, but she's been like a spokesperson. You know, and for the last almost twenty for the last twenty years, she's been doing that. Yep. So that's incredible. I know. And but that is the story of Matthew this episode Shepherd. of your queer story um, is brought to you by our patrons, the like Knights Wishing Well this and Tickle Dot Life. True rights actually began. Like while there was a lot of activism before this, while there was a lot of recognition, this is where laws were put in place to protect us. Right. Um, and you know, it's there's a, there's all a very good article out there um, by Vanity Fair. It's called the Crucifixion of Matthew Shepard. That's not that, that could be one of your resources today. Um, the crucifixion of Matthew Shepard. You can Google it, VanityFair.com, um, and it was done right after, like a year after this happened, and it's really good. Like it does a really detailed synopsis of everything that happened and a lot more information. Um, I would suggest reading that, but um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of good information there on the internet now to read about this. But you got to understand where your rights come from, kids. They can be taken away, and mm-hmm. we still have to fight for them. Exactly. So this is October. We've got elections next month. you got to go vote. You absolutely have to. This is as crucial as a presidential election. This absolutely. election is as crucial as that. If we don't get the House and the Senate, who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. 
He's got two years to push through whatever he wants, whoever he wants, however he wants. Mm-hmm. So go vote. Also, go to yourqueerstory.com. Check out all of our resources, our calendar, our blog, our information that's on there. Everything. Everything's on there. Um, and but uh, stay queer. Stay queer. Don't get a lobotomy. You succulent sapphists. We love you, our hooker allies. And I don't remember the last one. Bye, Christians. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.